Pray with me. Yes, Lord Jesus, inhabit the praises of your people today. Hear us confess with your church for over the last 2,000 years that Jesus Christ is Lord of all. You alone are the cornerstone. And you are the stone that the builders rejected. But you were chosen to be the chief cornerstone. And Lord, we pray that we would build our lives and that we would build this church and that we would center all that we do, our worship and our activity in Christ alone. Receive glory in your church, Lord. We just want to celebrate you. We don't want to boast in anything else but but your love and your death and your resurrection and hear our hearts cry out to you this morning, Lord, as we sing. You're a good, good father, and that's who you are, and we are loved by you, and that's who we are. And Lord, if we can just take that with us today, if we can just understand clearly who you are, and then better understand who we are as your beloved children, then, Father, we can be your church in this world. That's our prayer. That's our heart cry. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. God is good all the time. Amen. Like this week, He was good. Amen? We're good some of the time, right? Some of us every once in a while, right? But He's always good, and He's been good to us, and the Lord has done great things for us. That's why we are filled with His joy. I wonder, what's the most beautiful church you've ever seen? You've probably seen some beautiful churches. I have a little bit of an advantage. I grew up over in Europe, right? And uh, one of the churches over there is uh, the Ohm the Minster. Uh, it's in Ohm, not New Ohm, like, you know, out by Belleville, but this is Old Ohm, like Ohm over in Germany. And that Gothic cathedral, that, that tallest spire is over 500 feet, 161 and a half meters tall. And here's the thing. Growing up in Germany, I was in little villages, I was in medium-sized towns, I was in big cities, and they all have those. Like, even little towns have Gothic buildings where people have worshipped God for centuries and centuries, and then years ago, Melanie and I were in, in Paris, and we, not Paris, Texas, but Paris, Paris, over in France, and we stopped at the Notre Dame, and we saw the rose window. Anybody ever seen that? So I love stained glass. I love stained glass. I just think height uh, and beautiful colors help us as we worship God to remember that our God is really big and He is really beautiful. And so these are ways that, that we learn to worship. And I was just thinking about the story is that when they were building those great cathedrals, sometimes the rock quarries where they got the stones were like 50 miles away. And I read a story this week. I don't know. I, I mean, I can't verify. And I know you all fact-checked me because somebody fact-checked me last service. So I know you all do. But the story I read was that the way they got those stones from the rock quarry to the place where they built the temple was they made a line of people. And they handed the rocks. And they handed the rocks and handed the rocks. And, you know, you just think about it. I mean, they didn't have like 18-wheelers. So... I'm sure they had devices and contraptions, but the point is it took the whole body of Christ to make the building in which they would meet. So if you were going to build a church, how would you build it? Like we got that chance back in 2008, and I was thinking we were singing Christ Alone, Cornerstone, and we've got that 
verse from Ephesians out there on our cornerstone out there. Just as a reminder to us, Christ is the center of it all. You can see it if you walk up and down that sidewalk out there. If you were going to build a church and money were no object, and by the way, money is always an object, right? But if money were no object, what kind would you build? My mom's home church in Amarillo, Texas has got this amazing mural painted on the ceiling of it, and they repainted it years ago. They brought in a guy from Russia, and he glued down paint chips, like making $50 an hour to glue down paint chips, and they finally said, you got to hurry up a little bit, and he said, you can't hurry art. This summer, Melanie and I went through the Sistine Chapel, and they kind of heard you like cattle down this hallway, you know, and you're going through the map section and then through the beautiful tapestries. And then you, you walk into the Sistine Chapel and you got Michelangelo's paintings on the ceiling and God reaching out to Adam. And it's just amazing. But if you tried to replicate that and build that today, it would be very, very expensive. But did you know Tallowood's built a number of church buildings, not just this one, but we've built over a dozen in Central America, South America, one in Africa couple summers ago some of you were involved in that pretty amazing process what we do is we make sure the foundation is already poured before we get there and then we build a church building in five days you believe me you want to see we don't have five days we've condensed it to two minutes watch this so this isn't real time even though if you're building um, a church in in five days you got to move but yeah that's uh, fast motion this was in Panama actually Cliff Lusk uh, put this online so you can see it sometime. Got William Tell Overture. Is that what that is in the background? Fact check me on that one. Okay. Had a little bit of rain here. Clouds moving through. And there's the sunshine. Gotta have a roof. First Baptist Church, got a Tallowood symbol there. That's how it's done, right? Pretty, pretty amazing. And here's what's really cool. That night after they built the building, the church went inside it and had a service. And people put their trust in Jesus Christ and were saved and uh, became children of God. So that's what, it's, that's what it's really about. And what we read in the book of 1 Corinthians is Paul trying to describe what it's like to build a church. And you get the distinct impression as he's describing it 
that this is God's work and that we all have a part in it. And he finally says to the people in Corinth, so you are the church. You are the temple. So be careful how you build the church. Can I show you? 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 9-17. to 17. Open your Bibles with me. Let's hear the word of the Lord together today. God's word from His word. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's stand together in honor of our God and His Word. So he's just said, uh, I plant and Apollos waters, but God's the only one who can make the field grow. And so he's going to shift metaphors in verse 9. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field. Don't miss the possessive there. You are God's. You belong to God. You are God's building. By the grace God has given me, I had a foundation. I laid a foundation as a wise builder, and someone else is building on it, but each one should build with care. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of of each person's work. If what has been built survives, the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss, but yet will be saved, even though only as one escaping through the flames. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. So the good news is we belong to God. We are God's field. We are God's building. We were created by God, and we have been redeemed by God through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ. We've been bought at a price, so we're supposed to glorify God with our bodies, with our spirits, with all that we are. And when we do that corporately, we call that church. So you're the temple of the Holy Spirit, but in this passage, he says, we together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So God lives not in a building per se, but in the building that is his church. And Paul says, I'm a church builder. He uses the word architect. That's the Greek word. But it means more, I think, than just architect. It's like architect, engineer, person who pours the foundation. I saw some guys in our neighborhood who were pouring a driveway yesterday, and they were working so hard to make it just perfect. And I thought, there's a lot of design. There's engineering involved in that. And Paul says, so I laid a foundation there in Corinth when I was there for 18 months. Remember, he was there for 18 months. He was three years in Ephesus. And he said, I took time to pour the right foundation and then Apollos came behind me and he was preaching and teaching and he was encouraging the church and so he was building on the foundation and then Paul says so there's only one foundation really and his name is Jesus but if you're going to build a church be careful how you build because someday you're going to give account for your work And if you build with the best materials, since God gave His very best in His Son, Jesus Christ, and you give your very best, your work is going to stand the test of time. But if you build with with less than the very best materials, wood, hay, and straw, it's going to be consumed by fire. But you yourself will still be saved. But what you did afterward 
will be a total loss. It'll be consumed if you're not building with the very best materials. And then he says, so God can keep you secure and God will reward you according to your labor. So this makes it interesting, doesn't it? Because sometimes in our effort to help people become followers of Jesus Christ, we kind of make it seem like once a person receives Christ and gets baptized, that's kind of the end of the story. Everything after that really doesn't matter. But Paul seems to be saying what we do after we become believers in Jesus Christ really matters. It counts. God is keeping an account of it and God is watching over it and God is using us to build his temple. So we're building the temple. And by the way, we're becoming the temple so he says build the temple so that you can be the temple of God he uses words that speak of worship so Jessica thanks for leading us in worship this morning and designing this service Uh, Sky left us in really good hands with all of the worship leaders this morning Jessica prepared this and she pointed out to me in N.T. Wright's commentary on 1 Corinthians chapter 3 this is what N.T. Wright says about this passage this must be a building for worship I mean if it's a temple it's for worship That's the question every church worker should ask. Is what I'm doing encouraging and enabling people to worship the true and living God in holiness and truth? If not, am I perhaps being untrue to the foundation that has been laid? So here's the thing. The building should match the foundation. And the foundation is Jesus. So how good should the church be? Christ is the head The church is the body. If we're going to match our head, who is Jesus Christ, how then shall we live? Three thoughts from this passage, just to give you an outline. I always have an outline. Sometimes I share it with you. But but this this is the outline. So God himself provides the stability of the church. In other words, he lays the foundation. He gives us someone, Jesus, to build our lives on. So God provides the foundation. God provides proves the quality of the temple so God's the one who's quality control and finally he says God promises the security he will reward us for the work that we do but those who are saved are saved he says and that security of the believer what we would call perseverance of the saints that the New Testament teaches has to do with God's ability to keep us saved not our ability to keep ourselves saved but God's ability to keep us safe. So let's just kind of unpack this passage together this morning. And notice in verses 9 and 10, the first thing he says is that God provides the stability of his temple. In other words, he provides the foundation. Paul says, I got the chance by the grace of God. By the way, everything we do for God is just by grace because God gives us the breath that we breathe. He gives us the abilities and talents we have. He gives us our gifts. God gives all the gifts we said last week. God gets all the glory. So we live our lives to glorify God. And and so Paul does that. He says, by the grace given to me as a master builder, as an architect, that's the Greek word, he said, I placed the, the best foundation of all, the foundation of Jesus Christ. And he said, you really can't or you shouldn't build your life on any other foundation in the world. Remember Jesus teaching in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, really all the way through verse 27, but he says, you know, if you hear my teachings and you put them into practice, you're building your life on rock. And by the way, the winds are going to blow and the rain's going to fall, but if you don't put my teachings into practices, you're kind of building your life on sand. And when the wind comes and the floods rise up, uh, the building is going to fall. So the only foundation, he says, Jesus says, 
is me. I'm the chief cornerstone. I'm the foundation for your life. So I wonder, what are you building your life on? What is the foundation for your life? What would you say? This is the most important thing in my life. And I'm building my whole life on top of this. So what is it? What is that foundation for you? Back in the 1740s, we had a great awakening in the United States. And a preacher named George Whitfield came and preached in our country. And there was a Connecticut farmer named Nathan Cole. And he describes what happened as he listened to the sermon as George Whitfield placed the foundation of Jesus Christ. He said, my hearing, the good news of Jesus, the gospel, gave me a heart wound. And by God's blessing, my old foundation was broken up. And I saw that my righteousness would not save me. So the point is, to that point, this guy who lived in Puritan, uh, New England, he thought that his righteousness would be the foundation and that had to be broken up so that God could replace that with a foundation that would stand for eternity. And the good news is Jesus Christ is that foundation. So one of our hymns is the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, her Lord. She, the church, is his new creation by spirit and the word. From heaven he came and sought us to be his holy bride and with his blood he bought us And for our life, he died. You want to know why God is serious about the church? Because he paid the ultimate price so that the church could live. He he gave us the very best foundation of all. So if you and I, just to be clear this morning, if we make a wreck of our lives, what we can't say is, you know, God just didn't give me a very good opportunity because Jesus Christ is available to all and we can build our lives on him. So God provides the foundation, the stability. Now here's the second thought in verses 11 and 12 and 13. God proves the quality of our work. So what Paul is teaching is that, that those who are in the body of Christ, we as Christians, are in the church building business and we're building a temple to God and we are that temple so we're living stones first Peter chapter 2 and we're being put in place connected to Jesus Christ who is the chief cornerstone and we're connecting our lives with him and he says what you do after you become a Christian really matters why because he says if you build with really good materials for instance if you give God your very best Well, then he says, it's like you're using gold and silver and precious stones. And here's what you need to know. If you're not giving God your very best, that's like giving God uh, wood and, and, uh, and straw Uh, and stubble you're giving God less than your very best and this is what he says so God it turns out is the quality control department in heaven and he will test everything we do when will this happen he says the day will reveal what day is he talking about is it Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday what day is he talking about no the day whenever you see day capital D in the New Testament is talking about the second coming of Christ now some of you have got a a chart and you know when all this is going to happen you're ahead of me on that but I would just say this this is talking not about the rapture this is talking about the second coming and when Jesus Christ returns there's going to be this revelation this righteous revelation by fire and God's quality control Um, is sort of he tests it with sort of like a blowtorch everything we've ever done will be revealed I remember when I was a kid somebody gave me a track called this was your life and it sort of showed like a big you know remember drive-in theater Um, people still go to drive-in theaters by the way I had no idea but they still do but anyway this like big drive-in theater and it showed your life story and I was like oh that's crazy I'm not sure I want everybody to see everything I've ever done well um 
that this is accountability for us. So after you become a believer, everything you do after that is not just gravy. It really matters because it's a part of the way that God is building His body in the kingdom of God, building His church, and He wants us to use the very best. And why would we give God our very best? Because He gave us His very best in Jesus Christ. So we want to give our very best to Him. And you have only one life. And it will soon be passed. And only what is done for Christ will last. He says, if it's, if it's gold and silver and precious stones, what does he say? It will stand. So it's going to stand. That's good news, right? So it doesn't get you know, knocked down, torn down. No, it's, oh no, this is, this is really, really good work. Some of you have uh, helped me with my house recently. And I was just remembering my wrestling coach in high school, Steve Peterson, was also the shop teacher. And we all had to build a wall. Um, like a like a, a a house, a wall of a house. We had to run the electricity and build it. And I just remember it was a good foundation, you know, but my wall wasn't wasn't very good. And and then Mr. Peterson would come through and he would just point out, no, this is what's wrong. This wall would cause your house to fall down. You know, I, thankfully I was a better wrestler than I was um, builder. But he was he was saying this is not going to stand. What you want is it is it to stand? So here's my question. What have you and I done for Christ that we would say, that's going to last forever? What have we done for Christ? In fact, what do we have that's going to last forever? And this will kind of help you see what you're building your life around. Because I was thinking, you know, I got my Fitbit, right? Got that for Christmas. Yeah, it turns out they, some of you found this out. They don't necessarily last that long, right? Well, but I mean, you know, like the Roman Empire. Think about that. Well, yeah, there was a Roman Empire, but there's not one now. So it didn't, it didn't stand forever. Right? It was hundreds of years what about my house? I mean, it was built in 1962, same year I was born, same year this church was founded. It's showing some signs of trouble, actually, you know, and I wish I were better at, I wish I'd paid more attention to Mr. Peterson in shop class, you know, so I'd be better at that. But it's not going to live forever. The cars, the, the clothes, you know, Jesus said, don't store up treasures on earth. Why? Because they can be stolen or they can rot or they can go away. No, if you're going to build up something, a treasure, build up something that's going to last forever or he says you can build with wood hay and straw what would that be like well that would be like for instance giving God the leftovers of our lives remember Haggai someday you'll meet Haggai in heaven you should read his book and and in his little prophecy he talks about the fact that the children of Israel have moved back to the to Jerusalem after the exile and they're building themselves really nice homes with with paneled walls and he says but the temple is in disrepair. How can that be? Like you're, you're living well, but the temple's not doing as well. Or, or Malachi, uh, where he talks about they're bringing the offerings like, you know, they've got like three goats, but the one goat's kind of limping. So they take that goat to God instead of giving God the very best goat. And he says, so would your governor receive that as your, as your uh, tax? If you were paying taxes and you brought him the limping goat, he'd say, take that one back and bring me. So why would you give it to God? You know, there's this expression I heard uh, when I was a kid, it's good enough for government work, right? You know, so, so it's not that great, but it's just for the government, you know. Well, um, here, here's the thing. So what we do for God really, really matters. So we want to give God our very best so that when it's tested, it's revealed as quality. 
And God is in this work of building the church. And what if, what if I don't give God my very best? I mean, all of us would have to say in the past week, there were times when we didn't give God our very best. And just to be clear, he says, so that's going to be consumed by fire. That doesn't stand the test of time. But he says that person himself, did you read that closely? He will be saved, yet as by fire. So my mom used to say, by the skin of your teeth. So you got into heaven, woo, by the skin of your teeth. And everything you did after you became a Christian, you're like, no, no, there was just nothing there. No commitment, no involvement, no. Look, what Christ is doing in the church today, you can be assured of this. What Christ is doing in the world today, He is doing through His church. And He wants to use us. And He will not only provide the foundation, Jesus Christ, but He's going to prove the quality of what we've done. And when I think about that like I did this week when I was preparing for this, I just have to tell you, yeah, I tremble. So writing sermons, it turns out that's really important because that's the gift I'm giving back to God and I want to do it well so that he'll be pleased. I live for an audience of one. I'd love to impress you, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. But I have to please him because he cares about what we do. So we've got to develop our theology beyond just the idea of I'm saved and I got my fire insurance and I'm good. We've got to get beyond that to say, God, My whole life is an offering of worship to you in view of God's mercy, he says. And by the way, wherever you live, you live in view of God's mercy. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So give God your whole life, he says. Because on the cross, Jesus was giving you his whole life. Life. And the final thought. So God, God promises the security. So he says, but, but that person, even if they didn't do the right thing, they're go- as a Christian, because they're a believer, he says, you will be saved, yet, yet as by fire. And then he goes on to say, but don't destroy my temple. Don't destroy my temple. I'll destroy you if you destroy my temple. And then he says, and by the way, you are God's temple So God lives in you. Back to N.T. Wright. So everything we do is part of our worship to Him. And what we're trying to do is to prompt you to give your very best to God, to honor Him with your whole life. And what He says is, if you build with the best materials, this is kind of good news, you'll get a reward. So you're saying, well, so what's my reward? Like, is it like the kind of countertops I get in my mansion in heaven? Is that like your reward? You know, like, whoa, I'm going to get gold in heaven. Yeah, that's pavement up there, so... You know, I don't know that that's a big deal. So what is it going to be? What's the reward? And then I was thinking about Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, when Abraham was so troubled because he wanted an heir and God had promised him he would be the father of many nations and he didn't have any kids. It's kind of hard to be the father of many nations if you don't have any kids yet. And so he kept saying, God, what, you know, what do you have for me? And finally God comes to him and says, just that last line, this is who I am, Abraham. I'm your very great reward. So we always think of rewards in terms of monetary, and that's unfortunate because the Bible speaks of rewards in terms of relationship. And the, the good news is your reward in heaven is relationship with God. And by the way, you can already get started on that. You already possess that. You already belong to God, and He belongs to you, and He's invited you into this relationship. And it's a relationship that He says will not let you go. This is perseverance of the saints. So if you're really a believer you're going to be there when the role is called up yonder. If you're really a believer, you're going to be because it's not dependent on your works. Your works matter as a response of gratitude and love to God, but, but that's not how you get saved. You didn't get saved, and you don't keep yourself saved by what you do. 
God's the only one who can do that. But by the way, He can do that. So in John chapter 10, no one will snatch them out of my hand, Jesus said. And by the way, my hand's in the Father's hand, and no one can snatch them out of the Father's hand. So nobody can take you. This is really good news. And I was thinking of that, uh, that, that book uh, called The Runaway Bunny. Uh, and it's in the movie Wit, but it's, it's actually a book. Margaret uh, Brown Wise, I think, is the name of the author. And it's this mama bunny and this baby bunny. And the baby bunny says to the mama bunny, I'm going to run away. And the mama bunny says, yeah, so if you run away, I'll run after you because you're my little bunny. And then the bunny says, well, if you run after me, I'll become a fish in a trout stream and I'll swim away from you. And the mama bunny says, and if you become a fish and swim away from me, I'll become a fisherman and I will catch you. And the bunny says, and if you catch me, I'll become a bird and I'll fly far away. And the mama bunny says, and if you become a bird and fly far away, I'll become a tree to which you can always come home. And the little bunny says, oh, shucks. There's no use running away. And the mom says, have a carrot. (laughs) Well, the reward's not the carrot. Did you think the reward was the carrot? No, the reward is God's undying, unfailing love. Oh, love that will not let me go. This is what we're going to be singing about in heaven. Of his love, I will ever sing. Till above, I behold my king. Through eternity, my glad song will be of the Savior's redeeming love. It's, it's, it's Keith Green saying, I want to take your word and shine it all around. But first, help me just to live it, Lord. And when I'm doing well, Help me to never seek a crown. For my reward is giving glory to you. So we boast in his cross and his resurrection. Heaven's not going to be about what I did. It's always going to be about what he did. And he's working in us today to build his church. And you are that church So what we do for God this week really, really matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege of opening your word and just teaching it today. We thank you for Paul who laid a foundation and and for Apollos who taught. And Lord, we're still building that same temple and we still are that temple and we want to be people who bring glory to you in everything we do. So Lord, we want to give our utmost For your highest, Lord, we want to offer you the holy offering of our lives. We want to be the kind of church, Lord, in which disciples are made and disciples are grown. So, Lord, if we're teaching Sunday school or leading children in a choir or working with our students or helping with our college students or our our single adults or our married adults, Lord, right up until we graduate to glory, we want to make the most of this chance to give you our very best as a living sacrifice, Lord. We give You our lives today. We offer our very selves to You in full view of Your mercy and what You have done for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.